This is Biz. I'm a part-time working mom with two full-blown kids. And I'm Teresa. I have a family business, two young kids, and a toddler. This is a show about life after giving life. Don't listen with your kids, because there will be swears. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, I feel like I work here, but I don't feel like I live here. Plus, Biz reads aloud, Teresa receives a pleasant surprise, and we talk to author Elizabeth Gilbert about her new novel, City of Girls. Woo! I am excited about today's show. So am I. It, buckle up. Yeah. Buckle up, guys. <laughs> this is going to be one of those shows. Yeah, it is. Before I ask how you're doing, I just want to remind people, we're coming to Boston. Yeah. September 14th. We're going to be there. That's a Saturday night at City Space. You can go to OneBadMotherPodcast.com, click on tour, get yourself a ticket. You can pre-order books that would then be brought to you at the show. Mm -hmm. We're hanging out and signing. Do not let the hangout line intimidate you. We love to hang out after the show and visit as long as we can. And we move it along. Yeah, we do. Don't worry. But like, we, yes. And if you're like rushing home to breastfeed or something, somebody will let you in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of crowd. It really is that kind of crowd. (laughs) We have the breastfeeding lane and the we actually (laughs) are out all night raging lane. Yeah. So get your tickets. It is that kind of show. Yeah. Because we would love 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 to see you there i love 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 seeing Teresa every week (laughs) this is my favorite time of the week how are you Teresa? i am doing pretty well this morning (laughs) um all things considered Mm. something nice happened this morning and kind of relevant to our i know i'm like she's like what's happening what's happening this is relevant to our recent show about sleep Mm. and like is it better now (laughs) According to people on Instagram, it's not. No, it's really not. It's really not. And I was definitely up in the night at some point with Curtis, who needed something. But this morning, I woke up. I started waking up to kid noises because I could hear that Curtis was waking up. But he was kind of cheerful. Like, he wasn't screaming for me or anything. Yeah. And I was, like, trying to wake up. And then I heard my alarm go off, which meant it was 615 which is great. Like, yeah. I haven't slept until 6.15 in a Woo! long time. So that was a nice feeling. And then I started getting up, and I got up, and I walked out of my room, and I walked into the living room to go to the kids' room. And on the living room couch was none other than my beautiful seven-and-a-half, almost eight-year-old daughter, Gracie. She was asleep on the couch. Asleep on the couch. And I knew she must have moved there in the middle of the night because I had gotten up in the middle of the night for Curtis and she wasn't up at that point. So I'm like, oh, that's cute. Huh. I wonder what happened there. So anyways, I went about my morning. She eventually woke up and then she came into the kitchen and I said, were you up in the middle of the night? And she told me she had woken up. It was about 3.30, she said. And she said, I went and I read on the couch until I fell back to sleep. And oh. I never, like, I never knew, and the joy and pride I felt in that moment that, like, (laughs) someone (laughs) had gotten up in the night and not needed me and not didn't even need to be told like I'm not going to help you right yeah, now please go, go read back or and do read something. like yeah. the fact that all of that she handled on her own Ooh. in like a safe and like competent way yeah. was 
really, just really starts my week off on the right foot, guys. Wow. Yeah, it'll probably never happen again, but it was really No, nice. no, I'm going to say this is just a taste yeah. of what's to come. I know. that's And that's one of the perks of what's to come as opposed to other things that could come. True. Right? Yes. But, like, if that turns out <laughs> that's to a good be thing something, that yeah, that's yeah. a good thing that could come. Yeah. I think that's, oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, thanks. How are you today, Biz? I'm all right. Okay. Um, you know, I like to cycle through my feelings. Yes. <laughs> I try to. Turns out that I am always working on trying to figure out a balance between mother identity and I am a self. And uh, sometimes I'm nailing that. Mm. Other times I'm not. And summer. Definitely is a time of budding resentment Mm -hmm. because I'm just, you know, the kids are just back. They're in the house like all the time. And, you know, so now like it's all the normal stuff plus that plus like Mm -hmm. no alone time. Ah, But therapy and I'm getting really good at this. I can say resentment environments. Yes. I know this is my feeling experience. Yes. Um, And so we're going to delve into this a little bit in today's topic. And I'm so excited about Elizabeth Gilbert being on to talk to us in the interview portion of the show. We're going to ask her about something she posted on Instagram on Mother's Day. And it's amazing. And I don't want to waste interview time reading her, (laughs) reading Elizabeth Gilbert to Elizabeth Gilbert. But I also don't think it's the kind of post where I can pull like one line and then you get it, even though every line is amazing. So I'm going to read the whole thing because, again, I think it actually ties in really well to what we're going to talk about today. All right. So here it is. Buckle up. Here we go. Recently, I was at a conference where the question was asked, how many of you are afraid of turning into your mother? Nearly everyone in the room stood up. This made my heart ache. My heart ached not only for the people in the room, who were all beautiful, creative, imaginative, and wonderful human beings. It made my heart hurt for their mothers, who will never stop being judged as failures. Because, my God, we never stop blaming the mothers, do we? How many years, how many dollars, how much energy have we all spent as a culture talking about how mothers have failed us? What I want to say today is, can we take a break? just for one day, and show some mercy to the mothers? Because being a mother is impossible. I don't mean that it's difficult. I mean it is impossible. What we as a culture expect from our mothers is merely that we not be human. Mothers are meant to be some combination of Mother Mary, Mother Teresa, Superwoman, and Gaia. It's a merciless standard of perfection. Merciless. God help your mother if she ever fell short. God help your mother if she was exhausted and overwhelmed. God help her if she didn't understand her kids. God help her if she had no gift for raising children. God help her if she had desires and longings. God help her if she was ever terrified, suicidal, hopeless, bored, confused, 
furious. God help her if life had disappointed her. God help her if she ever had an addiction or mental illness. God help her if she ever broke down. God help her if she couldn't control her rage. God help her because if she fucked up in any way, she will forever be branded bad mother. And we will never forgive her for this. So this is my question. Can we take a break today from judging the mothers and show them mercy instead? This doesn't mean that what happened to you at the hands of your mother was okay. This doesn't mean that your pain is not real. It just means that maybe her pain was real too. And if you are a mother and you never stop judging yourself for how you are failing, can you let it go for one day? For one day, can you drop the knife that you are holding to your own throat? Mercy. Just for one day, mercy on you. Mercy on the mothers. Mm. It's yeah, too much for a T-shirt. Yes. I, I just, I, I'm just going to leave it at that Yeah, and say I think it ties in nicely to what we're going to talk about today, which is I feel like I work here, but I don't feel like I live here. Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Ms. and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. Teresa, I texted you the other day an idea for topic. Wasn't sure if it was a topic. But it's definitely something I have been feeling recently in my summer of resentment. <laughs> Brought to you. Is resentment. That a t-shirt? Yeah. Resentment. Brought to you by summer. <laughs> and I was thinking, God, I feel like I work here in my uh-huh. house. Yeah. But I don't feel like I live here. Uh-huh. And I want to clarify that I think. It doesn't matter what my living situation is. Uh Apartment, you know, condo, a house, rental, what the fuck ever. A basement under your own parents. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever it is. Yeah. I feel like all day I'm working. Yeah. Whether it's my job or whether it's related to all the people and living things that are in the house. And to the very house itself. Yes. And then there is no at the end of the day. Right. That's not what I feel. I don't feel at the end of the day I get to, quote unquote, go Go home. home. (laughs) Symbolically or for real. Yeah. And feel like there's an, an end to it. So there we go. And I wanna, I guess I wanna start with. What makes you feel like you're at home? Like there was a time you were at a home without children. <laughs> like like for me, it's, you know, having food that I like mm-hmm. in the house, right? Mm-hmm. Something, it, it's all about self being a self. Like yeah. it's like having stuff you like. my area yeah. clean or yeah. having music that I really like to hear. Not, yeah, just not being asked to, to do anything, being able to just sit mm-hmm. and it to be comfortable and to feel like no matter how small the space, it feels like mine. Mm-hmm. 
I, don't, I mean, are you, is that the same for you? Are there other things that sort of define what makes you feel like, quote unquote, home? Well, I don't feel like I'm at home in the sense of relaxing in my right. home because in my brain, I'm never relaxed. Right. So I don't think it's as much about the space itself. Mm. It's more that I'm always working yeah. in my mind. <laughs> yeah. So so whether you're on no a boat. going home at the end of the <laughs> yeah. day. Be at a boat, on a goat, yeah. in a house, yeah. on a, with a mouse. Right. right. It doesn't. It doesn't matter where I am, really. Yes. Because I'm always at work. You're I'm always at my work. Mind. I'm at work in my mind. Right. Because yeah. there's always the juggling in your head. Yeah. You're always thinking about all the the needs that yeah. need to be met. Yeah. And, and I don't mean that like, an, I mean, yeah. look, they're kids in your house. They have to be places at certain times. Yeah. They need things to eat. They need a schedule of some kind to meet, appointments, whatever it is. Right. And then there's, like, all the stuff, all the president of everything that we all need to have, like, the running list in our house on top of work. Right. Right? I was saying to Stefan the other day, I was trying to figure out why don't, when I have, like, one-on-one time with uh, one of our kids or I have a day with the kids, why don't I feel like, fun. Mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to the fun (laughs) that I have. And why do, whenever I hear you talk about a day with the kids, you know, to Stefan, it's like, that's going to be so fun. And I know you're going to come home and say, we had this really nice time. And I was like, he goes, you know, I don't know. Why do you think that is? And I was like, I don't know. I guess it's like, I'm always working. So I'm trying to have fun with them while while I'm working. It'd be like, if the kids came to your office. Yeah. And we're constantly asking for you to play with them while you were trying to get work done. Yeah. Like that would be really disruptive. Yeah. I mean, and people who like work from home, mm-hmm. like I have, you know, they're always like, close the door. Even if I have a babysitter, they're knocking on the door. Yeah. They're like <laughs> sticking yeah. notes under, they know I'm in the house. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. it's truly an interruption of work. Yeah. But everybody assumes it's my job. Right. So when I'm home, it's still being interrupted. And I want to say this is totally a feeling experience. Yes. Not a, doesn't mean that like I have a partner who isn't helpful or isn't paying attention. And thank God for therapy for helping me understand that like I can rationalize and understand what situations are, but it doesn't mean it doesn't create a feeling for me right. that I still have to recognize and deal with. So an an easy example of the not at home sensation is, let's say we're having a breakfast and, you know, this is a time where we could read the paper if we wanted while the kids are eating breakfast. We yeah. don't do it at dinner, but like breakfast, it's kind of loose. Stefan will have the paper. I have the paper in front of me, right. but I never read never it. Never read it. Because if somebody speaks. Yeah. It'll make you feel crazy. It's understood that I'm the one who's going to answer oh, them a yeah. little bit, right? Like, oh, yeah. Stefan, legitimately, and not to his fault, yeah. he's just really engrossed in reading the paper. Yeah. And so I've been trying to work on being like, can you 
can yeah. you answer that? Like, if we're watching uh-huh. a movie, Mama, why is this? What is this? Why is that? And, like, yeah. you know, your father's, like, sitting right here. Yeah. And he actually can answer that question a lot better. Yeah. But he's not thinking to answer it, per se. Right. And, again, there's lots of times he answers a ton of shit. Right. This I'm, is not a conversation is, about right. some way that he's lacking. This is about you. Me and my yeah. feeling experience where yes. it's like, why is this paper even? The cat usually yeah. comes and sits on the paper, and yeah. I'm like, that makes sense. So, hold on. Can I just say something about <laughs> yeah. the paper? Because that, I can, I do stuff like that yeah. too. We don't get the newspaper, but like, I do stuff like that where it's like, even though I know I'm not yeah. do, like reading this thing, <laughs> just having it here is kind of comforting to me. Uh-huh. But that wears off over yes. time. Like, I used to listen to our local public radio station mm-hmm. every morning and. I mean, also, things started going way worse in the world, so that was also, like, a reason behind stopping. But what I also realized was, for the longest time, I was like, yeah, I know I'm not able to hear this over the, like, insanity of all my kids and my dogs and whatever every morning, but just, like, having it on low in the background is comforting to me because that's what I've always done, like, since college is have that on in the morning. But there came a time where I was like... Now I'm starting to hate this yeah, because I can hear it and I know I can't hear. Like, I can hear that I'm not hearing it yeah, over and over and over again. And I haven't heard the radio for weeks now, yeah. even though it's been on for weeks. for weeks. And then I just had to take a break. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, it's almost like playing house. Yeah. <laughs> it's like is playing. what a yeah. self would do. It's yes. playing self. Yes. This is what a self, self would have a paper. Yes. A self would have books that she yes. wants to read next to her bed. Yes. A self would have a new pair of pants that she will oh never God. wear because she knows they're going to get fucking oh trashed, right? We are this playing This is like really self. striking a chord with me. Yeah. Because I think we are playing self and there's this part of me that would have thought like that's what you should do right. because you should do these things for yourself and kind of like fake it till you make it type right. thing. Like <laughs> right. you just have to keep yeah. doing these things so that we don't not do them because that yeah. sounds worse. Yeah. But there's something about doing them and not actually getting the feeling from them that is like also very difficult like that's also very painful to like have the books by the bed or to have the new pants or to have like have those things in place that you're not actually using any of your brain to like enjoy right or even notice a delicious strawberry in your hand and every bite you take has no taste and never satisfies you yeah like it and feels like air it feels like air this tastes like air Actually, in my house, somebody would have already taken a bite out of that strawberry or yeah. been like, can I please have the strawberry? Yeah. Fuck it. You want fruit? Yeah. Have fruit. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it, and the idea of being home, yeah. for me, is that same as playing self. Uh-huh. I'm not getting yeah. the benefit of, like, yeah. feeling, like... I had said that line to Stefan the other day because I was feeling the resentment and we were going into the weekend and I said, you know, all right. Here are the two things. One, summer. We're halfway through it. It's better than last year, but I do feel resentment building. Mm-hmm. And two, I feel like I work here, but I don't live here. Mm-hmm. And he, and then immediately I had to go deal with kids. <laughs> but yeah. I was like, I'm going to say like, it. We'll finish this later. I don't want to wait for the end of the day because yeah. hot dog summer is tonight. And uh-huh. I don't want that to be bent out of joint. Yeah. And even just saying it made me feel better. And he, you know, yeah. heard and, yeah. you know, so I can rattle around in his head. But like... 
last night, Katie Bell was spending the night out and Ellis was already asleep. And there's a lot of stuff we could have done. But I just said, I really just want to read the paper. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to read this Mm -hmm. paper. And he was like, okay, you know, that's that's how dare you. Okay, that's great. And then he said, can I put on a record? And I said, yeah. And there's this pause. And I said, but not a not a soundtrack. And he Mm -hmm. goes, oh, yeah, no. And I I'm aware that that really is music for me. Mm. And I was like, yeah. And in my mind, I didn't need to go into a big discussion, but I was like, you're right. When you play that, you're playing that because it's it's for you. Yeah. And you do deserve to have that music. But I'm like never hearing music. Right. Because a TV is, we have a small house. Like, I mean, I can't like be in another room listening to music. No. If somebody's watching TV or somebody's listening to something of their own or reading or whatever. And so like, yeah, I just, like he'll clean the kitchen with his headphones in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, because you're not necessarily listening. Because you don't have to listen for stuff. You don't have to listen for stuff. And I like, again, feeling experience. Yeah. I definitely have things that make me feel like me. I have a room. I have these things, (laughs) right? But anything that creates that feeling for me, a feeling disconnected suddenly and having downtime is constantly being encroached upon by every other living thing in my house's stuff and sounds and needs. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not like there's a room where there's not yeah. Everybody's stuff. I know. Right? Like, I mean, yeah. like, where sometimes it feels like the walls are made of everybody's yeah. things and that I'm not actually represented in the house. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what right? you mean. Yes. So, yeah. where from there? Because I, I, I really think that, like, you know, it's, this is important regardless of your living situation. Yeah. I think it's really important because, I mean, like, having a sensation of being a Self. And this is just like, a, I think, a, a branch off of the I am a self yeah. theory in general. Yeah. It's it's having a place where you feel like you can shut down. like, And you, you don't have to go to a spa to do it. Right. You're not I am a self because my kids are all at school. We shouldn't have to wait for it. Yeah. Everybody's entitled to have some sort of space. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. And... You know, whether you're a military family that has to move every year to two years, whether, you know, you work several jobs, whether you work from home or whatever, that's important. Mm -hmm. I don't mind the work. Mm -hmm. I just want to be able to feel like it's not interfering with me. I don't want to work 24 hours a day. I know. (laughs) I know. And I don't know, I don't know what the solution is besides like a period hut in the backyard or something. But even Even that, even that. That's what I'm saying. I said it at the beginning and I'll say it again. It's in our minds. Yeah. It's not a place that I can go. Right. So it's, for me, it is so much more about mindset. Yeah. And I think it actually relates so much to the post of Elizabeth Gilbert's that you read during our intro because Mm -hmm. I have been mentally coming back to that post ever since Mother's Day in this way not to 
not to necessarily specifically forgive myself for mistakes that I make as a mom, but mostly just to remind myself that I'm a person. Yeah. Like, I've even said to my kids a couple of times, if they're really just kind of like especially towards the end of the day and we're just getting home and everybody wants like four different things from me right now and they're (laughs) upset that it hasn't happened like 10 minutes ago and I'm just getting myself home from being out during the day and like trying to like I've found myself saying to the people in my house for better or for worse like I am also a person yeah I am a person (laughs) I'm here yeah I'm a person I'm not here. Like, I I will help you as soon as I can. Yeah. But right now, I'm being a person. I'm just a person. I am your mom, and I'm happy to help you when I can. Yeah. But I am also a person. Right. So think about how you're talking to me. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. They're kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think they actually have heard me say that, and I think it means something to them. Because it's like... Uh, for a minute, I just became like a thing. Yeah. It's, again, the vending machine. Yeah. Deliver- like stuff delivery system. Yes or no. Stuff delivery system. Yeah. I have to get in that mental space. We'll call it mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> Where- Teresa's cottage. <laughs> Teresa's <laughs> mental cottage. Where, and this is not easy. No. It's no. Because you're constantly having to reset the boundary. Yeah. Like a hundred times a day or more. And I'm not exaggerating. No. Like really like a hundred times a day. Yeah. Resetting that mental boundary of like, wait a minute, I'm a person. I can do a lot of things. Yeah. And I want to do a lot of things. And I love these people. Yeah. And I want to help them. But I yeah. am a person. Yeah. Person alert! Person alert! Person here! (laughs) Person walking here! Person trying to be in this existence! Yeah! Yeah, it's like any good house needs to find boundaries. Yes. And I, you know, I'm gonna just say this. We were gonna go on too long about this, but I I feel like (laughs) there's also a trap we can fall into where we start to blame or make excuses, you know, like, oh, but my kids need this because they're this. Or yeah. I'm over-parenting. They're having yeah. this problem because they're over-parenting. <laughs> like, who the <laughs> fuck is over-parenting, right? Like, I'm trying to parent as little as possible, right? right? But, like, yes. you know, you're being too nice to your kids. Yeah. Not being too horrible to your kids, yeah. right? Like, that's yeah. part of that, like, what... Our culture tells us. Oh, yeah. How can we're doing this because of this? Because it means you should be doing X, Y, and Z differently. And it's your fault. Yeah. This is your fault that you don't feel it. Yes. Can you please make yourself not feel like this? (laughs) Just think. Just don't worry about it so much. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Okay. All better. One Bad Mother is brought to you in part by Michelin Tires. I feel like it's weird when you first have kids and drive with your kids yeah. for the first time. Because all of a sudden, you're looking around at people and you're thinking like, 
excuse me, yeah. like, there's the precious life in this car. Like, baby on board. Well, there's baby on board, <laughs> but, like, those baby on board yeah. times just make me think about, like, well, but every car has precious yeah. life inside. Like, yeah. well, they, we, we should all be so much more careful all the time. Like, <laughs> um, I just think that that is a mental shift. Yeah. And Michelin Tires, I think, appreciates <laughs> that shift. Michelin is one of the world's leading tire manufacturers, and they are dedicated to enabling mobility and safety for all parents driving around with their loved ones in the backseat. Don't forget to think about tires. (laughs) Next time you're looking for new tires for the family car, consider Michelin Premier all-season tires. Michelin. Performance every time. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time, Teresa. Genius me. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did. Oh, my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh, my God. That's fucking genius. Okay. You guys know how I feel about throwing birthday parties. You hate it. I don't enjoy it. (laughs) Hate is a very strong word. Okay. It's tough for me. It's hard. It's really challenging, mostly because I'm so anxious about Mm. it going well, and Mm. that is very overwhelming. But my wonderful eldest child, Gracie, is turning eight. And I, we had her birthday party over the weekend. I didn't talk about it in advance because I didn't want to stress myself out further. But we just had a little one at the house. She wanted it at the house, which we haven't done in like years. And that also was stressful to me. But we just had five of her friends. And we paced ourselves and we figured out what we wanted to do and we kept it simple, like really simple, but like enough that it felt fun and exciting. Yeah. And she was really happy. It went great. It was, it's done. I'm like really happy. I'm really happy with how it went. Yeah. I'm so, that's so good. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad. And happy birthday, Gracie. (laughs) Eight. I'm freaking out. I know. Time is marching on. Okay. I have forever thought it would be fun for my children, specifically, to have a way to record themselves, but not like on one of my devices, but like on a boombox or like a tape player. These are remarkably expensive these days. If you go just even to try and find the most simple like tape recorder that actually records, it starts at like $45. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't. Yeah. That doesn't feel right. Right. And I make a lot of mistakes with what I think is correct to pay for things <laughs> to solve problems in my house. But that, I'm like, no way. So Stefan was going to this estate sale last week. And I said, I, we were looking at the pictures online and they had a lot of good stuff. And they had a whole table with boom boxes. And I said, Oh, my God, go get uh, something that records. Yes. And he found one that was, you know, 20 bucks, and it's like old school boom box. It's great. And he brings it home, and the kids are like, what? 
it. And thank God, Rite Aid still sells cassette tapes. Amazing. I go get cassette tapes. I know. And they spent the entire weekend. Ellis was making a little podcast about what he knows. This is uh, Ellis, and this is podcast. What does he call it? It was something so cute. I don't know. Whatever. It's not cute (laughs) enough for me to remember forever. Katie Bell, I taught her, you can record songs from the radio. And she managed to capture some of her oh favorite songs. I know. I was like, like, it's I like didn't know we can still do this. We yeah. can still do we it. We can pass this on. And then I was like, you guys should do a story together. Yeah. Not a, oh, my God. It was awesome. Good job. Thank you. Hey, One Bad Another. I am calling with a genius. Um, it's actually one of our best friend's genius, but it works for my kid, too, so I thought I'd share it. It's really easy. You just change your a password on your kid's phone or tablet to your phone number. took like two days, and my four-year-old now knows how to recite my phone number, even without the tablet or whatever in front of her. Genius. It worked for my kid. Hopefully it'll work for yours. Thanks. This is so genius. I almost, in listening to it, I feel like we had something similar to this a long time ago, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe not. I don't think I've heard this before. I think... It's a lot of digits. It's a lot of digits. But, you know, there is a thing about, like, I why do I feel like my kid can't open a jar of peanut butter but can totally operate an iPad right. or the DVD player? Like, why is like why do I think that's... I know. Our expectations are, are totally wonky. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could sweep this room. There's no technical skills involved. Um, <laughs> but I love this. Yeah, it's great. I, it's, it's such so a smart. great way to learn yeah. a phone number. Yes. Good job. Failures. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. Fail me, Teresa. Okay, so I've done a lot of hemming and hawing about my weird kid camp schedule this summer, (laughs) um, as you guys have been able to witness, so you're welcome. One thing I just wanted to share was that, so Oscar was signed up for two camps this summer, and for one of them, which was his first two weeks of camp, I just never thought through his schedule, like mm. the times, the time. So it's, it was 10 to 2, which is like a kind of a short camp. But I was like, that's actually good for him because it's a new place and it, he takes a little time to get comfortable and four hours, is you know, whatever. But what I didn't realize was like, that doesn't suit my other kids' schedules at all. So like what we had was like, the camp was right by Curtis's preschool, but we had an hour to kill in between dropping off Curtis and taking Oscar to camp. And then in the afternoon, that's the time that Grace gets home. Two o'clock is when she gets home. So I had to be at home for her. I couldn't be picking him up. So like I thankfully had a friend whose kid was going to this camp and like she was kind enough to pick Oscar up for me every day of the camp, except for like a couple times Jesse was able to help. But I was like, wow. And I like sprung it on her like the day before. Like, wow, I just realized that like I can't yeah. pick him up at this time. Like, I don't know why. I just never thought about that. I yeah. can't can't pick him up at this time. Yeah, that is a real thing that happens. Yes. And again, it's one of the things that go back to our topic that you have to think about. Yes. Right? Like, There's I, no one else to figure no that out. There's no one else to figure that out. Yes. I have a similar situation happening today. And I'm uh-huh. like, I got to. Yeah. I need time to be different. I know. Yeah. Yes. Well, you're doing a horrible job. I know. At your job. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is just 
it's not like I didn't do anything, but it makes me feel bad. Okay, I have mentioned in the past that I have a thing on my back shoulder. It's mm-hmm. like a, it started out as a little skin flap, skin mm-hmm. tag, whatever you call them. And then after I had Ellis, it just blossomed into this gigantic, <laughs> disgusting, like... It is not disgusting. It's pretty gross. It is like a nipple on the back. It's huge. And Ella, I want to get rid of it, but like Ellis was like, it's my friend. Yeah, it's I call friend. it flower and I love it. And I've been like, this is the year I'm going to get rid of it. And I haven't made the appointment yet, but I was at the pool the other day and I was standing in line to get something uh-huh. like a popsicle. Yeah. And there are two kids behind me and yeah. one of them says, hey, you have gum on your back. Oh. And I was like, what? I was like, no. No, that's just my skin. (laughs) But, like, I kind of walked back to the table, and I was like, all right, that's fair. Yeah. It's fair. And, like, another kid asked me about it the other day that's a friend of ours, and I was just like, I need to take care of this. This is something I could take care of. Kids are great for that. They are. But I was like, (laughs) yuck. (laughs) Hi, one bad mother. This is a... Um, so my two-year-old son is named Oliver, but we call him Owen. And it didn't occur to me until today that at some point we might need to explain to him that Ollie is his nickname and that his real name is Oliver. Um, because we got a letter in the mail addressed to Oliver. And he, like, he obviously can't read yet, but he can tell when... A word says Ollie. He can he knows what Ollie looks like when it's written down. So he looked at this letter and he said, Who is this for? And I said, It's for you. It says it's for Oliver and he said, Who's Oliver? <laughs> and then it occurred to me that he didn't know his name was Oliver. So that felt like a bit of a fail. <laughs> anyway, love the show. You're doing a great job. Bye. <laughs> I yeah. love this. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes total sense. It's sort of like back when I used to think my kids are going to think that counting leads to something bad. (laughs) Whatever. Like, that's what we do. We're like, all right, five, Five, four, four. three. And they're like, something's going to happen at the end. And I thought, but when they were really little, I thought, (laughs) they're going to go into school. And people are going to be doing, like, they're going to associate numbers with With discipline. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, enjoy Ollie. For the rest of your life, because yep. that's what he will always assume his name is. Always. Yeah. And it's your fault. You're doing a horrible job. <laughs> you are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. One Bad Mother is brought to you in part by Panda. Are you interested in learning more about how children develop? I am all the time. Why are you doing that thing? Oh, I forgot. It's developmental. But how does that work? (laughs) Now you can be part of the science. Check out the Princeton and NYU Discoveries in Action Lab or Panda, a virtual lab where researchers hope to discover how kids learn about the world. Panda offers quick and fun games for families with children ages 3 to 10. Participate from your home computer anytime. And as a thank you for contributing to science, 
you will earn a $10 Amazon gift card. Head on over to www.discoveriesinaction.org and sign up. To find out more, you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Discoveries in Action. Hey, Teresa, let's call someone today. This week, we are talking to Liz Gilbert. Liz Gilbert's 2006 memoir, Eat, Pray, Love, was an international bestseller and translated into over 30 languages. The book became so popular that Time magazine named Elizabeth as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. She wrote a follow-up memoir in 2010, Committed, which she explored her ambivalent feelings about the institution of marriage, which also became a number one bestseller. I don't know why. Uh, Why would that become a number one New York Times bestseller? (laughs) Anyway, she has written and talked extensively also about creativity, notably in her 2015 book, Big Magic, as well as here on the Max Fun Network with her podcast, Magic Lessons. Her latest novel is City of Girls, a rocking, sexy tale of the New York City theater world during the 1940s. Welcome, Liz. Hi, Biz. Hi, Teresa. (laughs) Hi. I love everything about so many things that you've done. (laughs) I I just thought the sentence was going to end about... About so many things. Yeah, it was going to go. About so many things. Yeah, yeah, so many things. Before You're just we, a lover, just a lover. <laughs> uh, before we get into all the questions we want to ask you, I want to start with what we ask all our guests, which is, "Who lives in your house?" Blessedly, <laughs> me. Oh, I love it. I look just, oh. just. Just me. Although I do have partial custody of a dog, a little mm. French bulldog named Chunky, who um, belonged to my wonderful former partner, Rhea. And when she passed away, I took over custody of him. But I also share him with her um, other ex-wife. <laughs> so he has um, so um, Chunky has lots of mommies is the name of a children's book that oh. we will someday write. Yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, he's not a he's not a full time resident. So, so it's just it's just me. And it's awesome. I bet it is. Sounds amazing. We are, today's topic for our show was, I feel like I work here, but I don't feel like I live here. When it, <laughs> when it comes to like how we're currently feeling in the state of like existence uh, as right. juggling all these different roles. But, and actually you posted something on Instagram on Mother's Day of this year. And it was incredibly touching and insightful and amazing. And so as not to take up time in our interview, I read the whole thing at the very beginning of the show so our listeners could get a sense of the post. But I want to ask you about it. You know, again, it's about what we expect from our mothers and even the very idea of mothers. I want to just start by asking for you to talk a little bit about that post and what motivated it. Well, what motivated it is that I was at a conference and the question was asked, um, you know, how many of you are terrified of growing up and becoming your mother? And virtually every single woman in this audience stood up. And and it it really, really made my heart break for a couple of reasons. One was that this was a room filled with exceptionally privileged people. So I just want to say that they're, you know, this is like a Napa Valley (laughs) yoga retreat lots of ladies in gray cashmere sweaters with blonde hair like mine, you know, like people who the world we can say has treated pretty well compared to how 
you could be treated in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's not as though I was talking to a room full of felons or addicts, which is not to say that there weren't people in there who were felons or addicts, but just to say that it, these people from outside appearances anyway right. seem to be doing like pretty okay. And, um, and yet there was this repulsion that they all shared and this derisive laughter um, that they all met the question with. And I felt like it was very heartbreaking because I wanted to say, were they that bad? You know, like how, like how bad could they possibly have been if you're here, you know, doing as well as you are apparently doing in life? And why do we have this sort of collective disappointment slash rage ongoing um, drama about how terrible our mothers were or how inadequate our mothers were? Um, and it just broke my heart for the mothers. Now, I've I'm, I'm got to make perfectly clear that I'm not a mother, um, and I'm very deliberately not a mother. I'm delight, delighted with my child-free status <laughs> in the world. Um, yes. <laughs> but I have a lot, of, and I've also spent a lot of time in therapy talking about my mother, so I'm not excluding myself from the category of people who have complaints and disappointments about what they feel they didn't get or what they feel that they weren't given. But what felt like an epiphany for me in that moment was this sense that what is the standard here mm-hmm. that it cannot be met, you know, um, that these 700 women who've all done very well in their lives all share this idea that their mothers are some sort of a failure, that they would never want to be anything like them. And that is what made me want to say, can we have some mercy, please, yeah. on the mothers? Is the problem that they're also terrible or is the problem that we've set a standard for what we suspect they're supposed to be that it simply cannot be Ding. Um, yeah. Ding. I think that's the answer. I, mean, I think. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk on the show all the time about the expectations or the narrative that we are fed from, you know, the moment we can see or hear about what the role of mother is, whether it be it's something lame like mom jeans or a mom car or mom hair. Just like the, the very word mom has this negative association with it versus mother being, you know, all that, all the comfort, all the answers, all the caregiving, right? Responsible for everything. Responsible yeah. for everything. And if you drop the ball... Yeah. On anything, you your broken psyche daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never yeah. be whole. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you should really feel bad about that. And then, and then, you know, there's also just the very notion that you know, women in general are you know treated like children the moment they become pregnant. If you're trying to adopt, there's again this whole lens that's put on you. What's your lifestyle? What is this? You know, how good will you be? You know, and then once you have a baby, we never want to talk about what you might be going through again. You did it. <laughs> You've got something. You are now complete. You are now complete. <laughs> right. All good. But the words that you used a second ago that I really, really touched a nerve for me was repulsive. Like mm-hmm. the idea of, of mothers just being repulsive to people. <laughs> I mean, like... Yeah, it's even repulsive to me at times. I mean, that's yeah. like 90% of what we talk yeah. about is trying to like, I don't want to hate the idea of being a, a mother. Right. Right? I, you know, I don't want to hate it. It's part of, it's part of who identity. I am. But yeah. I don't want it to be my whole identity. Yeah. And I just think, I just think it was so well done and impactful 
but I also like that it acknowledged, yeah, maybe maybe your mom was the worst. <laughs> like, you know, like, and I, I think you acknowledge that by saying that that's part of it, but we don't really acknowledge that as society either. I mean, like, mother is just awful in general, not specifically for any one thing. Can you talk a little bit about the about that as well? Well, just because I I was asking that day that we um, extend mercy toward mothers in general didn't mean that I think you should stop extending mercy toward yourself mm-hmm. if you had a mother who was very incredibly damaging to you, and a lot of people do, yeah. or if you were abandoned, or if you were neglected, or if you were abused. So, so you know, you, mercy that doesn't include yourself is not mercy, it's martyrdom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so... So I wish I'd had more time in that space to say, you know, start from a position of mercy of the terrible things that happened to you. But do you think maybe for just one day, wouldn't it be a radical way to honor Mother's Day instead of what I typically see happening on social media every year, which is either platitudes or despair, right? Um, So the way people typically react on Mother's Day is to either say, um, like a picture of your mom when she was young, saying like, you're the best, I wish I, you know, never better. And I know that's not true because you were one of the ones who stood up in that whole thing that you would never want to be like her. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, and... Or it would be a very sort of, this is a really hard day for me and people whose mothers were horrible. You yep. know, I can't bear this day. It's the saddest day of the year. And I and I just thought, like, what would a real way to honor Mother's Day be? Um, and, and real mercy, see, the difference between forgiveness and mercy is that um, forgiveness is very arrogant and forgiveness stands on a pedestal and says, you were terrible, um, but I've done a lot of work on myself, and I'm now ready to offer you this gift of my sacred forgiveness, even though you haven't earned it and you're worse than me. Um, there's, you have to be careful with forgiveness because it can be very patronizing. But mercy is a word that I love, and I do feel we live in a merciless society. Um, but mercy says, I stand in a dilemma that you also stand in. Um, and I recognize from the position of my human dilemma the, the sorrow and the trial of your human dilemma. It's not about bequeathing forgiveness. It's not about saying that what happened to you is okay. Um, it's just about seeing somebody as a human being sharing their human dilemma and you being able to recognize that. And it doesn't mean you ever have to be with them mm. or call them or spend holidays with them or let your children be around them. It just takes away, I think, a lot of the poison of um, of, of hatred. So... I, I think we could, I mean, mercy yeah. is just the, the ingredient that seems to be missing in just yes. everywhere. <laughs> I know, I know. It is a time in which we need a great deal more mercy. <laughs> I want to shift into another thing that it's almost cliche, but it's also very real, and that is creativity and parenthood. <laughs> some people find it a very creative time, and some people find it a very difficult time to reconnect. And I think you can fill take the word parenthood and replace it with any other word you you would like. Teresa and I were joking. Maybe we're just blaming parenthood on our creativity. Like, uh-huh. you know, when it gets stunted, oh, it's because I'm, I'm a parent. <laughs> sure. I mean, it can be anything. anything yeah. And it doesn't even have to be something, like, physical, right. like parenthood. It's a state of mind, almost. That's right. There are, like, so many barriers. We allow a lot of things to get in our way. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about maybe, based on your experience, what gets in our way a lot of the time? 
Okay. Well, first of all, um, I don't know if you know this about me, but you know, I spend a lot of time trying to coach and talk people into, you know, living more creative lives. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware that I give an automatic pass to anybody who has young children at home that they don't have to participate in that. Um, it's like, it's hard enough. Like what you are doing every single day is hard enough. You don't need some fucking life coach expert being like, you should be setting aside an hour a day to commit to your own creative growth. You know, it's insanity. Yeah. And, and, and I, I feel the same way about meditation and a spiritual journey as well. That like, you know what, you can pick this back up again when your kids are in middle school. <laughs> you, know? mm-hmm. like, you don't need to be getting up at dawn and, you know, doing a mantra and doing yoga. Like, you can't. You can't. It's just so like part of my general mercy toward mothers is like, like we have to, I feel like we have to give a sort of different standard of expectation of what you can actually do with the number of hours in a day, um, depending on the number of small people whose feces and food you're responsible for. So, um, So that being said, you know, I also have my definition of creative living is very broad and and it's simply this it's any life where you consistently choose the path of curiosity over the path of fear and that's the only definition that I will accept for what it means to live a creatively lived life and so that to me is not so much about what you're making it's about the spirit of how you're living um, whether you're living from a fear-based spirit or whether you're living from a spirit of of being really interested and engaged um, and looking into new things and that's that's it. Um, and, and I leave it at that. <laughs> and I think that is available. I think you can find, I think you can look at your, God, I'm so, I have so many disclaimers about this because I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a parent. You yeah, know, it's like all right. Yeah. It's all right. This is, yeah, this is you're a safe show. Here. You're safe here. Yeah. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Being right. a parent is full of disclaimers all the time. And we, <laughs> okay, cool. we say we no to disclaimers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. My friend Ann Patchett, the novelist, who's also not a mother, said to me one time, somebody was saying like, how are you so productive that you get all these novels done? And she was like, well, I don't have children, you know? Yeah. And um, so I have a, I have about 16 extra hours a day yeah. um, compared to what I as children. And, um, and, and, and somebody said, well, you know, there are people who are, you know, parents who write too. And she said, the laziest, most neglectful, awful mother still gives so much more of herself to other people than I do. <laughs> it's a good, solid 16 free hours a day. Um, but I do think that you can look in your own life at every stage of your life, um, no matter where you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what you've committed to, and and really have a conscientious thinking about whether your decisions are being guided by fear or by curiosity. And and because it's an everyday thing, it's not as though you make a brave choice, you know, three or four times in your life and that sets the course of your life, although there are these big landmark moments, you know, it's it's a kind of everyday I'm going to be just one percent more curious about life than I am afraid of it. And that's all it takes, you know. Um it's just you just gotta weigh the scales and it just has to be like that's the great savior of my life because I'm I'm a very anxious person and I have a lot of fear, but it happens that I'm just like a fingernail more curious about the world than I am afraid of it. <laughs> and um and that is why I get to do interesting things all the time and got to you know, have gotten to for my whole life. I want to talk about one of the recent interesting things you've you've done. 
<laughs> that's City of Girls, which is your new novel. And I, I want to start with, I usually, when we have authors on, I try not to butcher <laughs> my interpretation of what happens in the book and instead say, give us, give us a brief overview before I start launching into my questions so people know what the heck I'm asking about. Okay, so City of Girls is a novel set in the 1940s. It's about uh, the New York City theater world. The protagonist is a 19-year-old girl who's just gotten, from a very privileged family, who's just gotten kicked out of Vassar for being a terrible student. And she's sent to live with her Aunt Peg, who has a theater company in New York City. And she gets swept up into the world of these showgirls and dancers who are incredibly promiscuous. And so it's a novel about sexual awakening, but not... Not in a light sort of gentle way. It's like the like these these girls are predators much more than they are prey. And um, and Vivian is one as well. Um, she, she sort of finds her tribe of like unbridled sensualism. And it's a novel. It's a story that I've wanted to tell for many many years. I've wanted to write a novel that's about promiscuous women whose lives are not destroyed by their sexual adventures because that is a virtually <laughs> impossible story. Oh my God! Waiting for Mister Goodbar. Um, I just can't. Yes, yes. Because it's always about the shamed woman, the ruined yes. woman, um, the destroyed woman. And if she was at some point wild, then she had better have learned her lesson. And yeah. and my Vivian, I'm very proud to say, um, <laughs> remains an unbridled sensualist for her entire life. Um, and so, and the novel is also about shame and what happens when you make mistakes. What happens when you're being wild and free and you make mistakes that end up hurting people? And what are we to do? as women with our sexual shame and what are we to do as women with um, the parts of ourselves that we can't forgive. And, um, but mostly it's just a romp. I mean, that's really what I wanted was to, to write a book that would go down like a tray of champagne cocktails and be um, just a pleasure read. Uh, so, and it's about female pleasure and it's about female friendship. So um, that's it. Well, I, yes, it is. Well, I'll just say that. Uh, I, I want to say, to carry on sort of what we've been talking about, you know, that there are these expectations placed on mothers. Big surprise. There are crazy expectations and restrictions that we place on women in general, which I think is exactly what you just said, you know, the heart of this book. But I, you sort of answered the question already saying that you have been wanting to write something like this, the story for a while. But I wonder if what you thought you were writing evolved or unfolded more as you explored these ideas of the restrictions that, that are put on women, this assumption of punishment. And we just said, hey, if you hate your mom, there's punishment for your mom. for scr-. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. talk a little bit about, did anything new unfold as you were going through this? Well, what I'm thinking of, I mean, I think my storyline remained pretty much the same. I've had a, like many of us, I've had a lifetime of research in female shame. <laughs> um, so I, it's not like I had to, like, dig hard to figure yeah. out that's all about, you know? Um, and and I also have some, I have some awareness about what it feels like to finally put something away, um, you know, and just say, like, you know, I cannot make that right. You know, there's something that I did and and there's just nothing I can do about it. And I have to choose now whether I'm going to, you know, live under a cloud of shame or whether I get to move on um, and show mercy, that word again, to, toward myself for my shared human dilemma with all humans about not knowing how to do things right until you do. But I will say that setting the novel in the 1940s was really interesting um, because it's such a 
especially in New York City, it was such a fascinating moment in, in 20th century history and in New York City history because all the men were gone. Um, there was this radical transformation that happened when the war came, and the men, all young and middle-aged men, were gone. They were all serving the war effort, and all these women, young women, got jobs and got money and got independence. And it was the first time in history, certainly in American history, that there were these masses of women who had paychecks because they were all working in war industries that were because there weren't any men to do the work. Um, and it changed culture really radically. And, and I hadn't been quite aware of how radically. You know, there were things like before the war, there were certain mores, like you, if you were a respectable woman, you couldn't be seen walking down the street in the evening without being on the arm of a man, or else it was assumed that you were a streetwalker or a prostitute. And then during the war, that, that just went away because there just weren't enough men. Um, like, it just out of practical reasons, there was no way to uphold that. And and then, you know, you couldn't eat in a restaurant alone in a woman in most restaurants in New York City. Um, and then the war came and that went away. And there's there just this incredible freedom that, that opened up. And of course, the 50s came and tried to shut it down. Down, but mm. it was too late. Some of the toothpaste was out of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things, they'd gotten a taste, like the women had gotten a taste, and they were never quite the same after that. And it was really fun to talk to women in their 90s who had been in show business back in that time and who were very happy to talk about their sex lives. You know, I had been concerned about how I was going to get women who were 90 and 100 years old to talk to me about their sex life when they were young, but it turned out they didn't want to talk about anything but. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and, and they had had, you know, contrary to what you might picture of the, the 40s and 50s, they had had very adventurous um, lives and they didn't have any regrets about it. I think, um, you know, talking to some women who had, who had never married, never had kids and had been in and around show business their whole lives and now they were in their 90s, it spoke very beautifully for me as a counter to that argument that says, sure, you're having your fun now when you're young, but wait till you're old and you're living alone and you don't have any family, you'll regret it and your cat, you'll die and your cat will eat your face and, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) These women were still just completely at peace with the decisions that they had made about their own autonomy. And I thought that was amazing. We like to think that those revolutions started in the 60s, but for some people, they started a lot sooner. I love that. I wish that was the narrative that was being told because let's face it, part of that line, you know, have fun now, but then you're going to need to settle down and get married and have children is not about us. (laughs) It's not about women. That's a narrative I feel that was like set up as a form of power. And so, and I think about my friends who are, you know, I, I come from a theater comedy background and, Pretty much all my my friends, uh, they're single. They don't have you know kids. They have you know these very creative, different lives than than I lead necessarily. I don't. I'm not the one that's got all the friends who have kids. And like, I think about when they come to me and they talk about you know people asking that super invasive question of when are you going to have kids. What's your, why are you, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have this? Oh, aren't you going to be like, well, are you are not you going not? to? Is it any of my business? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think about, I, I wish the narrative was more, I wish we heard that story more. We, like women are like, oh, hell yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> that was great. Well, this is the thing. I did a lot of research on this when I was committed. I did it, you know, I spent two years researching the institution of marriage and yeah. trying to work my mind around it because I had so many 
problems with it as an institution. And I was so uncomfortable with it for a lot of really good reasons, um, and, um, including like, I don't know if you guys ever heard of the marriage in, in benefit or the marriage benefit imbalance. No, but I can. I have, yeah. Uh, I have some guesses as to what yeah. it might be. Yeah, yeah. it's self explanatory, but it yeah. just basically says that men gain phenomenally in every single aspect by which you can gauge the success of, it, of a person in our culture. Um, men who are married, men do so much better by being married in life. They, they live longer, they're healthier, they're less likely to commit suicide, they're less likely to be addicts, they, they make more money, they own more property, they report themselves more contented at every single level, like they're thinner than single men, they're, more, like they're, just, they're just better, they're just in every way better. And the exact opposite is the case with women. Um, every single level at which men gain, women lose. So married women don't live as long as single women. They're not as healthy as single women. They're more likely to commit suicide. They're more likely to have ad- addictions. They're more likely to have heart disease. Their their health is in every way worse. They they have less money. Um, you know. So so what happens apparently traditionally is that a man and a woman come together. And I don't know. I haven't seen studies on how this works with same sex marriage, and I'm fascinated. To yeah, I'm actually fascinated by that too. Yeah. To see whether like. Like somebody plays the wife and somebody yeah. plays the husband, mm-hmm. or whether or no one has to be mommy. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. one has to be mommy in this house, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, you know, my sister always says, like, no one wants to be the wife. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I so I and and the more educated a woman is, the later in life she gets married, the more equity she has with her husband, the less that that imbalance stays in place. So there are increasingly equitable marriages, but it's it's nationwide the numbers are just devastating and the and the statistics for, for the the cost on women of having children are also huge and so i always feel like there's a cultural it's not just oh i wish this dialogue was being was more honest it's actually wrong you know the sort of the cultural assumption mm-hmm. of every rom-com which is that yes every woman needs to get married in order to do well and every man should run away from marriage in order to not be imprisoned is exactly fucking opposite <laughs> Like men should be running into marriage and women running away from it based on the actual statistics of what really in real life happens. And so every time I see that story playing out anywhere, I'm like, this makes me want to put cigarettes out on my face. It makes me so crazy. And when I see women taking it on yeah. and using it as a metric about whether they're doing well in life, mm-hmm. um, it makes me really upset too. So I feel like I have like a one woman responsibility to share that information. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That that answers a lot of questions as to why (laughs) Teresa and I come here every week and go, why do I feel this way? When am I going to feel like a self again? Might might be part of it. Don't don't worry, Stephen. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Um, (laughs) Yay, our relationship. But I do think there, but I mean, Yes, to that. Yes, to the, you know, somebody's definitely getting the better end of the stick uh, in a lot of these situations. Unless you're with somebody who is so intensely evolved that they are pushing back against all their privilege actively, and you are pushing back against that model actively, um, then, then that's what you fall into. And it's... You know, it's troubling. I've been, yeah. you know, I've been married twice and I've, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's troubling to see what I become, you know, and I, and I don't even have kids. So, so, so all of which is to say, you know, this, I think part of the reason too, there's that sense of, wait a minute, why don't I feel good in this is because you were told that this is what would make well, you right. feel good. Well, right. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, 
and so that's a bit of an issue too. But look, we're we're catching up with it, and yeah, <laughs> and we we're are changing it one one person at a time. But that was really interesting for me to meet women of that generation, women mm. who were pushing one hundred and still saying, "Are you kidding? I wouldn't give up my freedom for anything." I love it. Um, and whose families are still angry at them about it, saying, "You'll regret this someday." That's what this one showgirl who was ninety six yeah. told me. She said, "My family still says I'm going to regret that I never got married and have kids." She goes, "I'm ninety six. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for the regret. It hasn't happened." Oh, my God. I love that so so much. Liz, thank you so much for joining us and having just a, I just enjoy talking to you about everything and have a list of other things I'd like to talk about. So thank you so much. And and obviously, we're going to link everybody up to where they can find all of your books, including the wonderful new City of Girls. And I I just thank you so much for putting what you put out there. Yep, well, may I say precisely right back at you, <laughs> I have such regard for what you guys are doing and and in every, you know, I follow you and I'm fascinated by what you're creating and the audience that you've made and the community that you've made and the alternatives that you're giving to people about all of these assumptions um, about parenthood and about and about marriage, too. So just don't stop telling your truth. <laughs> it's the best way that you can help other women. <laughs> Thank Lots you. I love you guys. Thank you. I was honored to be on your show. And um, just keep going. Absolutely. You Thanks, too. Liz. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Graham. And we're two house DJs who have been trapped inside our drum machine. We love it here, and we'd love if you stopped by and visited us every week on Stop Stop Podcasting Podcasting Yourself here on MaximumFun.org. We're just a couple of doofuses from Canada. And listen to our show or perish. (laughs) Stop Podcasting Yourself (laughs) on MaximumFun.org. into reading glasses because Bria and Mallory have great tips. If you're a comics reader and you want to use a library connected app, you can try out Hoopla. I listen for the author interviews. I'm mad at myself that I waited as long as I did to start reading Joan Didion. They give me reading advice I didn't even know I needed. If you go in person to an event and go up to an author or a filmmaker or anybody and tell them what they you don't like about their work, you're a trash baby. I, look, I understand you didn't like Heroes Season 3. That's fine. I, like, I don't... <laughs> actually need to know that information i'm bria grant and i'm mallory o'mara we're reading glasses and we solve all your bookish problems every thursday on maximum fun i said this was gonna be a a long one guys and so worth it yeah wow i love getting a chance to think about things yeah Right? Like, I mean, yes. just just to remind myself that my brain is working mm-hmm. uh, organ that is, like, able to receive information, analyze it, critique it, think it, yeah. roll it around, and, and getting grow. to— And grow. Yeah. And I, it's one of the reasons I love coming in here every week is I get to talk to this intelligent person who— uh, 
reminds me I get to think about things in different ways. And I just, she was, she was fantastic. Yeah, she's incredible. And I I do want to say her show on the Max Fun Network, there are two seasons of it. It's called Magic Lessons with Elizabeth Gilbert. It may be my favorite show of all time. Mm. So if you guys want to listen, I know it's about creativity. And I know she says she yeah. gives a pass to all <laughs> mothers of young children. But I will say listening to I only listened to this show as a mother with young children and I still got so much out of it just as a human, Mm. just growing as a human and the way I think about myself and the way I think about the world and my choices in my life. And so that's worth checking out if you're interested. Speaking of checking things out, let's check in on a mom having a breakdown. Hi, One Bad Mother. This is a mom having a breakdown. Oh, my God. I went to the gym, which is right around the corner from my house, and they have child care, which is great. And I brought my kids there before. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And my one-year-old, she's upset at first, as usual, because she's very attached to me. And then she calms down within five or ten minutes. But today, I'm working out. I'm near the end of my workout. And one of the managers comes over to my machine and says, do you have two kids in there, Noah and Paige? And I said, yes. Oh, well, Paige hasn't been able to calm down. We haven't been able to calm her down. And I've been working out for an hour. They didn't get me sooner because I forgot to sign in, and they couldn't figure out whose kids they belonged to. I feel just awful. Their policy is like, come get the mom within like 10, 15 minutes if they're that upset and you can't calm them down. God, I feel like shit. They were wonderful about it, of course. They understood. Uh, but, man, I'm an idiot. And now she's going to be all bent out of shape all day, and so am I. And I just try to do one good thing for myself. I was feeling so good. Thanks for letting me get this out. Bye. You are doing... A really good job. Yeah, you are. You are. You are not a bad parent. You no. do deserve workout time, and we all make mistakes when it comes to signing in, signing yeah. out. There was nothing. And that's about, also their responsibility yeah, to make sure you sign you did. in. Too. I mean, that's a shared thing. Yeah. It's not on you. 100%. Yeah, like, none the, of the yeah. situation is yeah. your fault. Yes. Right? Agreed. It's a series of things that, sure, make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. I, I have, like, countless situations similar to this, and it's, but you are doing such a remarkable job, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I don't, 
I don't think we have to go too far into this. Other, be nice to yourself. Just really. It's just awful for all of you. And just be nice to yourself. That's just so rough. That is really rough. And exactly what we've said this entire episode. Show mercy to yourself. That's my new favorite thing. Yeah. Show mercy to yourself. You're remarkable. And you've got two amazing children who will be able to go back probably and <laughs> work out at the gym again. Don't don't let this like seal your fate yeah. as to never being able to do anything for yourself again. Don't live like I live. Never going to a restaurant for five years. <laughs> You're doing a remarkable job. Yeah, you are. Yeah. And we hear you. Yep. What did we learn today, guys? We learned that we all need a special cottage in our mind. <laughs> Just to, that we can call home. Except I, it, everybody's is called Teresa's Cottage. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so everybody needs a trip. If your name trip. is Janet, yeah. you still have a cottage called Teresa's Cottage oh, in your mind. I love the name Janet. The, it's a good name. It's such a good name. Yeah. Janet, we need to take care of this emergency yeah. situation that's arisen. <laughs> There's only one person who can help us, and that's Janet. Janet. Yep. Um, <laughs> we all need to visit Teresa's Cottage. Her mind cottage, mm-hmm. her mind palace. I'd like to go there too. I haven't I, been yeah, there yet, let but us I'm know. interested. Yeah, I Hopefully think actually, a futon or something. What what we learned, <laughs> thanks to having a discussion about it, as opposed to me just ruminating on it for hours in my head, is that I may relate to the world through physical things, like oh, this. If my house is clean and my bed is made and I can sit on it with my book, I am at home. This is my sensation, right? But it really is actually more about, I think, what you touched on, Teresa, and that is, it doesn't matter where you are, if you can't stop it in your head, if your head is always working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that again ties into the boundaries that we're talking about. And, you know, what, what boundaries can you set up? What expectations are really being put on you versus you can push back on. I mean, that's what part of boundarying is, pushing back on some of those expectations. For me, it's just been learning to get ahead of the resentment and be really vocal with my partner, you know, so that he has an opportunity to help and do something. You know, we learned, we are, we didn't learn anything. We were reminded that this is impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. And, you know, what Liz Gilbert said on her Instagram, as well as in our discussion, we are expecting us to be more than is possible. Is possible. <laughs> Therefore, that's why we yeah. feel everything is impossible. Yeah. And then we're it's supposed to feel like shit right. when we're not meeting the expectations of impossibility. Right. And like, fuck that. Wow. I don't know how to. Yeah. Fix that. And I don't want to always be playing self, right? Like, I, I want to be a self. I want to taste the fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to taste the sweet fruit. And I also don't want to blame myself for wrestling with this all the time. Right. And I certainly don't want to blame others. You know, yeah. I just want to figure out how to. Get home. (laughs) 
how the hell to get over to Teresa's cottage. We also learned that Liz Gilbert is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that was a real treat talking to her. And we learned that we're coming to Boston. But the most important thing that we should take away every week is that you're doing a good job handling the impossible. Yep. Guys, you're doing an amazing job. Yeah. You're doing something impossible. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Right now. Yes. And you're juggling other things that are impossible while doing that. Yes. You are a living sack of bananas and we see you. (laughs) (laughs) We see you and you're doing a good job. Yeah, you are. Teresa? Yes. You're doing a good job. Thanks, Biz. So are you. Thank you. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that right. We'd like to thank Max Bunn, our producer, Hannah Smith, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Well, Daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blues. Oh, said Daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blues. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.